Hello. Yeah. And welcome to Infinite Cast, uh, a podcast, part 43? Sure, why 40, not? No, more than that. I don't know. I'll figure it out when I publish this. <laughs> um, welcome back to the thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I have anything to talk about before we get started. I don't think I do either. Yes. Um, i got to put on some tennis clips, but I'll do that while you get started. Sure. Um, so we're in the middle of this description of Boston AA. Yep. Um, I, I guess I'll have some more thoughts to bring up about that afterwards. Um, go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ah! All right. Another advanced basics group speaker. <laughs> I forgot about advanced first, basics. That's a good, uh, that's just, I love, yeah, it's good. Whose first name Gately loses in the crowd's big hello, but whose last initial is E, an even bigger guy than John L, a green card Irishman in a scally cap and Sinn Féin sweatshirt, <laughs> with a belly like a swinging sack of meal and a thoroughly visible ass to back it up, <laughs> is sharing his hopes experience by listing the gifts that have followed his decision to come in and put the plug in the jug and the cap on the fentramine hydrochloride bottle, which takes us to endnote 136. Trade name Fastin, Smith Klein Beecham Incorporated, a low-level drin not unlike Tenuate, though with more associated tooth grinding. <laughs> Back to the text. And stop driving long-haul truck routes in unbroken 96-hour metal-pedaled states of chemical psychosis. The rewards of his abstinence, he stresses, have been more than just spiritual. Only in Boston, AA, can you hear a 50-year-old immigrant wax lyrical about his first solid bowel movement in adult life. <laughs> Here we go. It had been a confirmed bowl splatter for yars beyond Compton. It had been barred from to facilities at old truck stops, quicks, hair, and nork for yars. Twa paper in the loo at home hung in these carled sheets from to wall. I till yo. But now one day, I remember it always. <laughs> Twere awake to today after, I stood up for me 90-day chip. I were three months sober. I were dar on to throne at home, you know. Not to put too fan a point on it. I produced as her usual, and I were so amazed as to not believe in me years. Twas a son so one familiar at first, I thought I'd dropped me wallet in Toulouse, do you know? <laughs> I thought I'd dropped me wallet in Tulu as good as me wetness. <laughs> so don't I bend twixt me knees and I had a look into into dim Tulu and couldn't believe me eyes. So good people, I did then I dropped to my knees by Tulu and had a real look, a lover's look, do you know? And friends twere lovely past me poor, pure powers to say, twere a tard in Tulu, in Tulu, a real tard. Twere farm and teppered and ever so gently hitched, to looked constructed instead of sprayed. <laughs> to looked as I felt in me art good, good himself might a turd to look, to look. Me friends, this tart of mine practically had a pulse. I stood down on me knees and tanked me harpar, harpar. Which I chose to call me higher power good, and I've been tanking me higher power on me days ever since. Oh, I, higher har, power. Har power. So I now I am assuming that it, this is written like this. This, this is, is written like you, this. This, and this is, is not is in you just doing your flawless Irish act. I wouldn't. I wouldn't disrespect my people in this way. This is. Re <laughs> I'm. Re I'm reading this phonetically. Uh, har par. I'd be tanking me har par <laughs> on me days ever since morning and night time. Uh, and in Toulouse, swell Averson. 
The man's red leather face radiant throughout. <laughs> Gately and the other white flaggers fall about, laugh from the gut. A turd that practically had a pulse. An ode to a solid dump. But the lightless <laughs> eyes of certain palsied back row newcomers widen with a very private he identification. Loves calling people palsied. Yeah. A very private identification and possible hope, hardly daring to imagine a certain <laughs> message has been carried. Gately's biggest asset as an Ennett House live-in staffer besides the size thing, which is not to be discounted when order has to be maintained in a place where guys come in fresh from detox, still in withdrawal with their eyes rolling like palsied cattle and an earring in their eyelid and a tattoo that says born to be unpleasant. <laughs> besides the fact that his upper arms are the size of cuts of beef you rarely see off hooks, his big plus is he has this ability to convey his own experience about at first hating AA to new house residents who hate AA and resent being forced to go and sit up in nose poor range and listen to such limply improbable cliched drivel night after night. Limp AA looks at first and actually limp it is. It sometimes really is, Gately tells the new residents. And he says no way he'd expect them to believe on just his say so that the thing will work if they're miserable and desperate enough to hang in against common sense for a while. But he says he'll clue them in on a truly great thing about AA. They can't kick you out. You're in <laughs> if you say you're in. Nobody can get kicked out, not for any reason, which means you can say anything in here. Talk about solid turds all you want. The molecular integrity of shit is small potatoes. Gately says he defies the new Ennett House residents to try and shock the smiles off these Boston AA's faces. Can't be done, he says. These folks have literally heard it all. And euresis impotence, priapism, onanism, projectile incontinence, <laughs> auto-castration, elaborate paranoid delusions, the grandiosis megalomania, communism, fringe birchism, <laughs> national socialist bundism, psychotic breaks, <laughs> sodomy, bestiality, daughter diddling, exposures at every conceivable level of indecency, coprophilia and phagia. <laughs> Four-year white flagger Glenn Kay's personally chosen higher power is Satan, for fuck's sake. Granted, nobody in white flag much likes Glenn Kay, and the thing with the hooded cape and makeup and the candelabrum <laughs> he carries around draws <laughs> some mutters. But Glenn Kay is a member for exactly as long as he cares to hang in. So say anything you want, Gately invites them. Go to the beginner meeting at 1930 hours and raise your shaky mitt and tell the unlacquered truth. Free associate. Run with it. Gately this morning, just after required AM meditation, Gately was telling the tat-obsessed new little lawyer guy, Ewell, with a hypertensive flush and little white beard, telling him how he, Gately, had perked up considerably at 30 days clean when he found he could raise his big mitt in beginner meetings and say publicly just how much he hates this limp AA drivel about gratitude and humility and miracles and how he hates it and thinks it's horseshit and hates the AAs and how they all seem like limp, smug, moronic, self-satisfied, <laughs> shit-eating pricks with their lobotomized smiles and goopy sentiment and how he wishes them all violent technicolor <laughs> harm in the worst way. New Gately sitting there spraying vitriol, wet-lipped and red-eared, trying to get kicked out, purposely trying to outrage the AAs into giving him the boot so he could quick march back to Ennett House and tell crippled Pat Montesian and his counselor Jean M. how he'd been given the boot at AA, how they'd pleaded for honest sharing of innermost feelings, and okay, he'd honestly shared his deepest feelings on the matter of them, and the grinning hypocrites had shaken their fists and told him to screw... 
And but so in the meetings, the poison would leap and spurt from him. And how but he found out all that these veteran white flaggers would do as a group when he like vocally wished them harm was nod furiously in empathetic identification (laughs) and shout with maddening cheer, keep coming. And one or two flaggers with medium amounts of sober time would come up to him after the meeting and say how good it was so good to hear him share. And holy mackerel, could they ever identify with the deeply honest (laughs) feelings he'd shared and how he'd done them the service of giving them the gift of a real remember when type experience because they could now remember feeling just exactly the same way as Gately when they first came in. Only they confess not having the spine to honestly sharing it with the group. And so in a bizarre, improbable twist, they'd have Gately ending up standing there feeling like some sort of AA hero, a prodigy of vitriolic spine, both frustrated and elated. And before they bid him uh, au revoir, <laughs> that's, spe- that's spelled O-R-E-V-W-A-R, sure. uh, and told him to come back, they'd make sure to give him their phone numbers on the back of their little raffle tickets, phone numbers Gately wouldn't dream of actually calling up to say what, for Christ's sake. <laughs> but which he found he rather liked having in his wallet to just carry around just in case of who knew what. And then plus maybe one of those old Enfield native white flag guys with geologic amounts of sober time in AA and a twisted ruined old body and clear bright white eyes would hobble sideways like a crab slowly up to Gately after a meeting in which he'd spewed vitriol and reach way up to clap him on his big sweaty shoulder and say in their formidic smoker's croak that, well, you at least seem like a ballsy little bastard, all full of piss and vinegar and whatnot, and that just maybe you'll be okay, Don G. Just maybe. Just keep coming. And if you'd care for a spot of advice from somebody who likely spilled more booze in his day than you've ever consumed in yours, you might try to just simply sit down at meetings and relax and take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth and shut the fuck up and just listen (laughs) for the first time perhaps in your life. Really listen and maybe you'll end up okay. And they don't offer their phone numbers, not the really old guys. Gately knows he'd have to eat his pride raw and actually request the numbers of the old, ruined, grim, calm, long-timers in white flag, the crocodiles, the less senior white flaggers call them, because the old twisted guys all tend to sit clustered together with hideous turd-like cigars in one corner of the Provident cafeteria under a 16 by 20 frame glossy of crocodiles or alligators sunning themselves on some verdant riverbank somewhere with a maybe joke legend old timers corner somebody had majuscule across the bottom of the photo. And these old guys cluster together under it, rotating their green cigars in their misshapen oh. fingers and discussing completely mysterious, long, sober matters out the sides of their mouths. Gately sort of fears these old AA guys with their varicose noses and flannel shirts and white crew cuts and brown teeth and coolly amused looks of appraisal. Feels like a kind of low-rank tribal knucklehead in the presence of stone-faced chieftains who rule by some unspoken shamanistic fiat which takes us to end note 137. None of these are Don Gately's terms. <laughs> Back to the text. I'm sorry. I, the, this French guy playing tennis has a French sports brand on his shoulder, uh, and because of the way it's designed and also that it's French, it looks like a, uh, a slur in America. I was about to ask you which one, but uh, uh, we don't need it, to say that, I'm I, sure. I will say that in French, you would probably pronounce it etard. <laughs> it's, it's le French tennis, you know. Yes. Uh, Gael Monfils. Gael Monfils. Anyway, none of those are Gately's terms. None of those are Gately's terms. Unspoken shamanistic fiat. 
And so, of course, he hates them, the crocodiles, for making him feel like he fears them. But oddly, he also ends up looking forward a little to sitting in the same big nursing home cafeteria with them, facing the same direction they face every Sunday. And a little later, finds he even enjoys riding at 30 uh, kilometers per hour tops in their perfectly maintained 25-year-old sedans when he starts going along on white flag commitments to other Boston AA groups. He eventually heeds a terse suggestion and starts going out and telling his grisly personal story publicly from the podium with other members of White Flag, the group he gave in and finally officially joined. This is what you do if you're new and have what's called the gift of desperation and are willing to go to any excruciating lengths to stay straight. You officially join a group and put your name and sobriety date down on the group secretary's official roster. And you make it your business to start to get to know other members of the group on a personal basis. And you carry their numbers talismanically in your wallet. And most important, you get active with your group, which here in Gately's Boston AA, active means not just sweeping the footprinty floor after the Lord's Prayer and making coffee and emptying ashtrays of gasper butts and ghastly spit-wet cigar ends, but also showing up regularly at specific PM times at the White Flag Group's regular haunt. The elite, the final E's, neons, ballasts out. <laughs> the elite diner next to Steve Don- Steve's Donuts in Enfield Center, showing up and pounding down tooth-loosening amounts of coffee and then getting in well-maintained crocodilian sedans <laughs> whose suspension springs Gately's mass makes sag and getting driven <laughs> wall-eyed with caffeine and cigar fumes and general public speaking angst to like Lowell's Joy of Living group or Charlestown's Plug in the Jug group or Bridgewater State Detox or Concord Ar- Honor Farm with these guys. And except for one or two other pale, wall-eyed newcomers with the gift of utter desperation, it's mostly crocodiles with geologic sober time in these cars. It's mostly the guys that have stayed sober in white flag for decades who still go on every single booked commitment. They go every time, dependable as death. Even when the Celtics are on spontaneous discs, they hit the old (laughs) commitment trail. They remain rabidly active with their group. And the crocodiles in the car invite Gately to see the coincidence of long-term contented sobriety and rapidly tireless AA activity as not a coincidence at all. The uh, backs, yep. Sorry, I just had an errant observation, which mm-hmm. is tennis is one of the sports where the people in the stands most like look like tennis fans. Right. Football, Football not so much. Baseball. Obviously, there is like a look of football fans and a look of baseball fans. But if you look at it, I mean, there's so many people there. You get kind of all sorts. Every time they cut to the the uh, stands in these tennis games, it's like everybody in there is absolutely a tennis. A tennis person. A tennis person. Yeah. I'll try to point it out next time there's a crowd shot. Sure. You at home can't see this. But just imagine what, a tennis, what a tennis person looks like. And like. that is exactly that. Uh, anyway, the crocodiles and the commitments. That's that's spef- specifically like leisure shirt that's made of the like slightly like drapey like spandex yeah. like polyester thing mm-hmm. that like never creases. Uh, women in dyed blonde bobs with coral colored polo shirts. <laughs> yeah, and little visors. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the backs of their necks are complexly creased. <laughs> The crocodiles up front look into the rear view mirror and narrow their baggy bright white eyes at Gately in the sagging back seat with the other new guys. And the crocodiles say they can't even begin to say how many new guys they've seen come in and then get sucked back out there, come into AA for a while and hang in and put together a little sober time and have things start to get better head-wise and life quality-wise. And after a while, the new guys get cocky. They decide they've gotten well 
and they get really busy at the new job sobriety's allowed them to get, or maybe they buy season Celtics tickets, <laughs> or they rediscover pussy and start chasing pussy. These withered, gnarled, toothless, totally post-sexual old fuckers <laughs> actually say pussy. <laughs> but one way or another, these poor, cocky, clueless new bastards start gradually drifting away from rabid activity in the group, and then away from their group itself, and then little by little, gradually drift away from any AA meetings at all, and then without the protection of meetings or a group in time. Oh, there's always plenty of time. The disease is fiendishly patient. How in time they forget what it was like. The ones that have cockily drifted, they forget who and what they are. They forget about the disease until like one day they're at like maybe a Celtics Sixers game and the old good old fleet slash first interstate center is hot. And they think what could have just what they think what could just one cold foamer hurt after all this sober <laughs> time foamer. now that they've gotten well just I d- one I cold one. S- I do have to say that the way he writes cold foamer. Makes the, me the want last one. one uh, a cold foamer on a hot day. I'm like, damn, that does damn, sound good. When, when you put it like that, that's delicious. Uh, so g- give me some of that 28 degree beer we had at the mm-hmm. Iowa State Fair. Oh, please. Uh, just one cold one. What could it hurt? And after that one, it's like they'd never stopped if they've got the disease. And how in a month or six months or a year, they'd have to come back in, back to the Boston AA halls and their old group tottering, DTing with their faces hanging down around their knees all over again. Or maybe it's five or ten years before they can get it up to get back in, beaten to shit again, or else their system isn't ready for the recurred abuse again after some sober time and they die out there. The crocodiles are always talking in hushed, nom-like tones about out there. Or else, worse, maybe they kill somebody in a blackout and spend the rest of their lives in MCI Walpole drinking Raisin Jack fermented in the seatless toilet. Wait, hold on. That guy doesn't look like a... He's wearing a shirt that says Carbonara? But in his own way, he does look like a a tennis guy. He's a tennis punk. Sorry. Yeah, he's got like a, a... Obviously, like four foot long hair put in a man bun and wearing like goggle style sunglasses, almost steampunk sunglasses and a lip piercing. Tennis punk. But you know what? He looks like a tennis guy. Sure. Uh, Drinking Raisin Jack fermented in the seatless toilet and trying to recall what they did to get in there, out there. (laughs) Or else, worst of all, these cocky new guys drift back out there and have nothing sufficiently horrible to finish them happen at all. Just go back to drinking 24-7, 365, to not living behind bars, undead, back in the disease's cage all over again. The crocodiles talk about how they can't count the number of guys that have come in for a while and drifted away and gone back out there and died, or not gotten to die. They even point, out so, they even point some of these guys out, gaunt, gray, spectral men reeling on sidewalks with all that they own in a trash bag as the white flaggers drive drive slowly by in their well-maintained cars. Old emphysemic Francis G. in particular likes to slow his lesaber down at a corner in front of some jack-legged, loose-faced homeless fuck who'd once been in AA and drifted cockily out and roll down his window and yell, Live it up! (laughs) Uh, Of course, the crocodiles dig at each other with their knobby elbows and guffaw and wheeze. They say when they tell Gately to either hang in the AA and get rapidly active or else die in slime, of course, it's only a suggestion. They howl and choke and slap their knees at this. It's your classic in-type joke. There are, by ratified tradition, no musts in Boston AA, no doctrine or dogma or rules. They can't kick you out. You don't have to do what they say. Do exactly as you please if you still trust what seems to please you. 
The crocodiles <laughs> roar and wheeze and pound on the dash and bob in the front seat in abject AA mirth. <laughs> Boston AA's take on itself is that it's a benign anarchy, that any order to the thing is a function of miracle. No regs, no musts, only love and support in the occasional humble suggestion born of shared experience. A non-authoritarian, dogma-free movement. Normally a gifted cynic with a keen bullshit antenna, Gately needed over a year to pinpoint the ways in which he feels like Boston AA really is actually sub-Rosa dogmatic. You're not supposed to pick up any sort of altering substance, of course. That goes without saying. But the Fellowship's official line is that if you do slip or drift or fuck up or forget and go out there for a night and absorb a substance and get all your diseases triggers pulled again, they want you to know they not only invite but encourage you to come on back to meetings as quickly as possible. They're pretty sincere about this, since a lot of new people slip up and slide a bit, total abstinence-wise, in the beginning. Nobody's supposed to judge you or snub you for slipping. Everybody's here to help. Everybody knows that the returning slippy has punished himself enough just being out there and that it takes incredible desperation and humility to eat your pride and wobble back in and put the substance down again after you fucked up the first time and the substance is calling to you all over again. There's the sort of sincere compassion about fucking up that empathy makes possible, although some of the AAs will nod smugly when they find out the slippy didn't take some of the basic suggestions. <laughs> even newcomers who can't even start to quit yet and show up with suspicious flask-sized bulges in their coat pockets <laughs> and list progressively to starboard as the meeting progresses are urged to keep coming, hang in, stay, as long as they're not too disruptive. <laughs> Inebriates are discouraged from driving themselves home after the Lord's Prayer, but no one's going to wrestle your keys away. Boston AA stresses the utter autonomy of the individual member. Please say and do whatever you wish. Of course, there are about a dozen basic suggestions, which takes us to EndNote 138. Are they going to list them? In, Bos in EG Boston, join group, get active, get phone numbers, get sponsor, audio call sponsor daily, hit meetings daily, pray like fiend for release from disease, don't kid self that you can still buy Rodney's in liquor stores or date your dealer's niece or think for a second you can still hang out in bars playing darts and just drinking millennial fizzies or vanilla yoo-hoos, etc. Back to the text. Uh, and of course, people who cockily decide they don't wish to abide by the basic suggestions are constantly going back out there and then wobbling back in with their faces around their knees and <laughs> confessing from the podium that they didn't take the suggestions and have paid full price for their willful arrogance They've learned the hard way, but now they're back by God, and this time they're going to follow the suggestions to the bloody letter, just see if they don't. Gately's sponsor, Francis, ferocious Francis G., the crocodile that Gately finally got up the juice to ask to be his sponsor, compares the totally optional basic suggestions in Boston AA to, say, for instance, if you're going to jump out of an airplane, they suggest you wear a parachute. <laughs> but of course, you do what you want. Then he starts laughing until he's coughing so bad he has to sit down. <laughs> the bitch of the thing is that you have to want to. If you don't want to do as you're told, I mean, as it's suggested you do, it means that your own personal will is still in control. And Eugenio Martinez over at Ennett House never tires of pointing out that your personal will is the web your disease sits and spins in still. <laughs> the will you call your own ceased to be yours as of who knows how many substance-drenched years ago. It's now shot through with a spidered fibrosis of your disease. His own experience's term for the disease is the spider, which takes us to EndNote 139. Volunteer counselor Eugenio Jean M. favors entomological 
entomologic tropes and analogies, which is especially effective with brand new residents fresh from subjective safaris through the kingdom of bugs. (laughs) Back to the text. You have to starve the spider. You have to surrender your will. This is why most people will come in and hang in uh, only after their own entangled will has just about killed them. You have to want to surrender your will to people who know how to starve the spider. You have to want to take the suggestions, want to abide by the traditions of anonymity, humility, surrender to the group conscience. If you don't obey, nobody will kick you out. They won't have to. You'll end up kicking yourself out Mm -hmm. if you steer by your own sick will. This is maybe why just about everybody in the white flag group tries so hard to be so disgustingly humble, kind, helpful, tactful, cheerful, non-judgmental, tidy, energetic, sanguine, modest, generous, fair, orderly, patient, tolerant, attentive, truthful. You know, I get, I obviously like get them phrasing, like talking about Gately's initial disgust and anger, but I do get how there must be a part of you if you come into a process like that. I know that if I was to do something like, like a, this is a part of how my emotional response would be where you want people to like be yelling at you or being like, you bug, you worm, yeah. you know, you, you fucking loser. You suck. Look how bad, bad yeah. things are. Like, you know, you crave that at a certain level when part of admitting that you are wrong about something is that like masochistic craving of judgment. Yeah. And how, if you go into a group that is like, so, purposely openly non-judgmental that a part of you would be like slightly irritated with sure, it you know right and just like po- positivity and niceness in group setting is uh can be un- uncomfortable yeah. or like at, at, for people who don't trust such a thing yeah it's also because you uh, part of you might also not uh, like think that people are, that means that people aren't being like honest or something you know mm-hmm It isn't like the group makes them do it. It's more like that the only people who end up able to hang for serious time in AA are the ones who willingly try to be these things. This is why to the cynical newcomer or fresh Ennett House resident, serious AAs look like these weird combinations of Gandhi and Mr. Rogers with tattoos and enlarged livers and no teeth who used to beat wives and diddle daughters and now rhapsodize about their bowel movements. It's all optional. Do it or die. So, but like E.G., Gately puzzled for quite some time about why these AA meetings where nobody kept order seemed so orderly. No interrupting, fisticuffery, no heckled invectives, no poisonous gossip or beefs over the tray's last Oreo. Where was the hard-ass sergeant-at-arms who enforced these principles they guaranteed would save your ass? Pat Montesian and Eugenio Martinez and ferocious Francis the Crocodile wouldn't answer Gately's questions about where's the enforcement. They just all smiled coy smiles and said to keep coming. An apothegm uh, Gately found just as trite as easy does it. Live and let live. (laughs) How do trite things get to be trite? Why is the truth usually not just un, but anti-interesting? Because every one of the seminal little mini epiphanies you have in early AA is always polyesterishly banal, (laughs) Gately admits to residents. (laughs) He'll tell how, as a resident... Right after that one Harvard Square industrial grunge post-punk, this guy whose name was Bernard, but insisted on being called Plasmatron 7, (laughs) right after old Plasmatron 7 drank nine bottles of NyQuil in the men's upstairs head and pitched forward face first into his instant spuds at supper and got discharged on the spot and got firemen carried by Calvin Thrust right out to Com Ave's Green Line T-Stop, 
and Gately got moved up from the newest guy's five-man room to take Plasmatron 7's old bunk in the less new guy's three-man room. Gately had an epiphanic AA-related nocturnal dream he'll be the first to admit was banally trite. Which takes us to EndNote 40. Don G's North Shore's Vulgate signifier for trite slash banal is limp. <laughs> uh, bit, bit, bit. In the dream, Gately and row after row of totally average and non-unique U.S. citizens were kneeling on their knees on polyester cushions in a crummy low-rent church basement. The basement was your average low-rent church basement, except for this dream church's basement walls were, so, uh, were like this weird, thin, clean, clear glass. Everybody was kneeling on these cheap but comfortable cushions, and it was weird because nobody seemed to have any clear idea why they were all on their knees, and there was like no tear boss or sergeant-at-arms type figure around coercing them into kneeling. And yet, there was the sense of some compelling, unspoken reason why they were all kneeling. It was one of those dream things where it didn't make sense, but did. And but then, some lady over to Gately's left got off her knees and all of a sudden stood up, just like to stretch. And the minute she stood up, she was all of a sudden yanked backward with terrible force and sucked out through one of the clear glass walls of the basement. And Gately had winced to get ready for the sound of serious glass, but the glass wall didn't shatter so much as just let the cartwheeling lady sort of melt right through and healed back over where she'd melted through, and she was gone. Her cushion, and then Gately notices a couple other polyester cushions in some of the rows here and there were empty. And it was then, as he was looking around, that Gately in his dream looked slowly up overhead at the ceiling's exposed pipes and could now all of a sudden see rotating slow and silent through the basement a meter above the different shaped and colored heads of the kneeling assembly, he could see a long, plain, hooked stick like the crook of a giant shepherd, like the hook that appears from stage left and drags bad axe out of tomato range, moving slowly above them in French curled circles, almost demurely, as if quietly scanning. And when a mild-faced guy in a cardigan happened to stand up and was hooked by the hooked stick, and pulled ass over tea kettle out through the soundless glass membrane, Gately turned his big head as far as he could without leaving the cushion, and could see now, just outside the wall's clean pane, trolling with the big stick, an extraordinarily snappily dressed and authoritative figure manipulating the giant shepherd's crook with one hand, and coolly examining the nails of his other hand from behind a mask that was simply the plain yellow smiley face circle that accompanied invitations to have a nice day. The figure was so impressive and trustworthy. And I've, I've seen fan this art. figure in fan art. In fan art, yes. yes. There we go. The besuited figure with the smiley face and a big hook. Yep. The figure was so impressive and trustworthy and casually self-assured as to be both soothing and compelling. The authoritative figure radiated good cheer and abundant charm and limitless patience. It manipulated the big stick in the coolly purposeful way of the sort of angler who you know isn't going to throw back anything he catches. The slow, silent stick with the hook he held was what kept them all kneeling below the Baroque little circumferences of its movement overhead. One of Ennett... Yes? Uh, is that a Done? good place to stop? How much How much further? Um, let's do another two pages just to keep trying to get through this thing. Okay, great. Let's go. One of Ennett House's live-in staffers' rotating PM jobs is to be awake and on call in the front office all night for dream duty. People in early recovery from substances often get hit with real horror show dreams or else traumatically seductive substance dreams and sometimes trite but important epiphanic dreams. 
and the staffer on dream duty is required to be up doing paperwork or sit-ups or staring at the broad bay window in the front office downstairs, ready to make coffee and uh, listen to the residents' dreams and offer the odd, practical, upbeat, Boston AA-type insight into possible implications for the dreamer's progress and recovery. But Gately had no need to clomp downstairs for a staffer's feedback on this one since it was so powerfully, tritely obvious. It had come clear to Gately that Boston AA had the planet's most remorselessly hard-ass and efficient sergeant at arms. Gately lay there, overhanging all four sides of his bunk, his broad, (laughs) square forehead beaded with revelation. Boston AA's sergeant at arms stood outside the orderly meeting halls, in that much-invoked out there where exciting clubs full of good cheer throbbed gaily below lit signs with neon bottles endlessly pouring. AA's patient enforcer was always and everywhere out there. It stood casually checking its cuticles in the astringent fluorescence of pharmacies that took forged Talwin scripts for a hefty surcharge, in the onion light through paper shades in the furnished rooms of strung-out nurses who financed their own cage's maintenance with stolen pharmaceutical samples, in the isopropyl reek of the storefront offices of stooped old chain-smoking MDs whose script pads were always out and who needed only to hear pain and see cash. In the home of a snot-strangled Canadian VIP, and the office of an implacable Revere ADA whose wife had opted for dentures at 35. Remember Mm. that little problem? Actually, I do not remember the dentures thing. I'll uh, fill me in afterwards. Fill you in afterwards. A's disciplinarian looked damn good and smelled even better and dressed to impress, and his blank black-on-yellow smile never faltered as he sincerely urged you to have a nice day. (laughs) Just one more last nice day. Just one. And that was the first night that Cynical Gately willingly took the basic suggestion to get down on his big knees by his undersized spring-shot Ennett House bunk and ask for help from something he still didn't believe in, ask for his own sick spider-bit will to be taken from him and fumigated and squished. But, and plus, in Boston AA, there is, unfortunately, dogma, too, it turns out, and some of it is both dated and smug. And there's an off-putting jargon in the fellowship, a psychobabbly dialect that's damn near impossible to follow at first, says Ken Erdetti, the college boy ad exec semi-new at Ennett House, complaining at, he's an first, ad exec. Is that the first time we've heard that name in like like 200 pages? The weed addict, yeah. Like, is he literally not mentioned between his yeah. like the second chapter and Maybe this? what they referred to him obliquely as like a, a guy who was there. But yes, this is the first time we're seeing Ken again. Nice. The college boy ad exec semi-new at Ennett House, complaining to Gately at the white flag meeting's raffle break. Boston AA meetings are unusually long, an hour and a half instead of the national hour, but here they also have this formal break at about 45 minutes where everybody can grab a sandwich or Oreo and a sixth cup of coffee and stand around and chat and bond, where people can pull their sponsors aside and confide some trite insight or emotional snafu that the sponsor can swiftly privately validate but also place in the larger imperative context of the primary need not to absorb a substance today, just today, no matter what happens. While everybody's bonding and interfacing in a bizarre system of catchphrases, there's also the raffle, another Boston idiosyncrasy, the newest of the white flag newcomers trying to get active in group surface service, wobble around with, uh, r- is it rattan? Rattan? R-A-T-A-N. R-A-T-T-A-N. Rattan. Rattan baskets. I've never had to say that word aloud. Don't ask me how to pronounce literally anything. Don't don't ask me how to pronounce literally everything. 
Retard. <laughs> Baskets and packs of tickets, one for a buck and three for a fin. And the winner eventually gets announced from the podium and everyone hisses and shouts fix and laughs. And the winner wins a big book or as Bill sees it or came to believe, which if he's got some sober time in and already owns all the AA literature from winning previous raffles, he'll stand up and publicly offer it to any newcomer who wants it, which means any newcomer with enough humble desperation to come up to him and ask for it and risk being given a phone number to carry around in his wallet. Uh I, what do you think? Good place to stop? Yeah, I mean, we're probably at like, what, 35 minutes? 36 minutes, that's good. Okay. Uh, this is a long chapter, and it's, you know, more more of this. Uh, wait, can I show you an il- illustration real quick? Sure. That's going to that's gonna be a great... Uh, uh, this is okay. from the anime Assassination, Assassination Classroom. Classroom, which is roughly, I would describe as a, a giant smiley face in a suit which apparently is like one of the villains or teachers. I don't know what fucking happens in an assassination classroom. Uh, but again, just bolstering our uh, infinite gesture should be an anime thing. The, uh, the smiley faced shepherd. Uh, what, what does he call it? A taskmaster, not taskmaster. Um, uh, an angler. A- angler is a very anime figure. Yeah, it is. Um, it's funny because I love I love the smiley face aesthetic, but I'm I am aware that it is sinister. It is. It's also very um that again feels very nineties, uh, you know. Uh, it does like very feel 90s. Gen X. Yes. The, the sinister the sinisterness behind the smiley face mask. Yeah. You know? The the uh the the cartoon character asking you to have a nice day when in fact it doesn't seem very nice. But at wonder all. if your day was actually very bad. <laughs> um so we're still in AA. Still um, in AA. How Just, tall is do you think Don Gately is? I think he's like six eight, six, but eight. but huge. Yeah, but broad. Yeah, that's yes. that's what I imagine. Uh, yes, um, he's a big guy. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. Um, qu- quickly to explain why the uh, Revere ADA's wife has opted for dentures oh, yes, at yes, thirty five. Yes, yes. Do you remember the uh, the cruel prank that Don Gately did with his um? his accomplice where they went, they broke into the house, uh, disturbed nothing, uh, stole no valuables. And it wasn't until later that they saw like a photo of Don using, um, using the ADA's wife's ADA's and wife's toothbrushes on his asshole sticking. I believe he stuck very vaguely. He and his accomplice stuck the the toothbrushes up their, their asses. Uh, and so now this woman has she, been. She was so disgusted. She got her teeth replaced. Yeah, like she she now has a like really horrible um, like obsessive compulsive disorder based on uh, su- such a trauma. And yet now do- simply does not have any of her own teeth anymore. Oh God, which is uh, pretty dark. Um, Something for which Don will have to make amends. A, a tone. I'm not really sure how you make amends for that, but we'll find out. We'll find out. Um. A few things. Mm-hmm. So since last week, I did look a little into AA, and I think one thing that is interesting is that the uh, the organization is overtly anarchist. Yeah. Uh, like they're the initial founders, like were literally like reading Kropotkin and like uh-huh. uh, like basing basing their the way they were setting it off off of actual anarchists, which I found interesting. Mm-hmm. I also had a, uh, a a nice little conversation 
with a listener yeah. uh, over DMs just talking about, you know, the value of AA. And I, I did want to clarify that I hope I wasn't coming off as like super negative or judgmental of it last week. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely not. I, I find it more fascinating than anything. Yeah. Uh, and definitely, you know, uh, support it if it is this thing that works for people. Yeah. Um, and also, interestingly, like the day that we put our, out our episode last week, uh, Brace, Brace Belden from... Um, True on mm-hmm. went off on a, a little um I wouldn't call it a terror rant just just some musings was posting some musings about AA I have no idea why uh I presume he does not listen to this <laughs> uh but you know he he was he said a few things and you know I think that almost everybody who has interacted with AA both has um some amount of of both high regard and skepticism about it it seems like. Uh, but his main takeaway was the main thing about AA is it makes you it forces you to hang out with sober people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and right. that is like the main value of it. And you, and everything else is like everything else is basically a construct mm-hmm. to f- to do whatever it takes to just get you to hang out, hang out with sober people. with other sober people. That's interesting because yeah, I th- I think the thing that David Foster Wallace is zeroing in on is like the sort of tautology of AA. Yes. Which is that, like, you go there, you're with people who are in AA, and if you are with people who are in AA, then, then you, you are in AA. Then you are in AA, and then you are not out there. Yes. And then, but weirdly, if you go out there, you can always come back. Yes. And even though you might be silently scoffed at a little bit, you the the rules, like, the, the dogma is that you have to, it's both a strict uh, rule, which is that you don't, do substances but then also the rules are there are no rules because that no. ru- that isn't even a rule it's you like know, it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around it's, the, uh, it's kind of the ultimate when you're here your family <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. i mean i do i get it and i think that it is it is so kind of beautiful in its own way because there just aren't that many institutions in modern life that are truly like that. Well, and that, I mean, I think that is revealing of modern life. Yeah. Uh, uh, la- lacking yeah. In, in that of like when you think of, I mean, the, not to get all um, like uh, voxy about it, but like social life for people our age pretty much revolves around alcohol. Yes. Unless, even if you, like my little sister goes on, uh, she's in like part of a run club mm-hmm. um, in her town and where do they finish the run? At a, At a brewery. Yeah. Like it, it is, that is a pervasive part of social life. But even and like, if th- uh, that substance is damaging to your life, it is hard to find. Yeah a thing that is prescribed is like, don't do this. But even like, you know, even like churches and any kind of, yeah. it's hard to even find an association or thing you can do that doesn't involve like filling out a form. Right. Or know? like identifying yourself as, as, in a certain way. Yeah. Or like give it, or especially, and also as well, giving money to. Yeah. In some way. Right. Well, and that's the interesting thing about AA is that, yeah, you're, you're not giving money to it. And the only thing that they really require you to identify as is someone with a problem yes. with a substance. And then other than you that, know. but that is because I'm just thinking about like, why aren't there just like social clubs where people can hang out? And the answer is that a lot of people don't have a lot of stuff in common. Yes. But this is one thing that everyone has in common. Yeah. The only thing it asks uh, from you is that you give. You give yourself away. 
Sorry for my terrible singing. But no, you know, that's good. Uh, with or without, with or without AA. Ugh. Um, I don't know musings. Uh, it's it, and I think that this chapter does do a good job of keeping it very entertaining, but also just making you really contemplate what this what this thing is. And it's you know obviously it's clear that uh, he's thought a lot about it and that it is uh intellectually fascinating to him as well. Right. And yeah, clearly he has some some sort of personal connection to it. The the other thing I'm thinking of is a the, the power of listening mm-hmm. because that that was reiterated by one of the old guys after Don Gately yeah. was saying well, how he he wants to really fu- shut the fuck up. And yeah, listen. just shut the fuck up and listen. And also the, you know, the the power of just like being in a group and saying whatever the fuck you want and not worrying about being judged Mm -hmm. that even in so-called like forums that exist, you know, like online, there's still judgment. You can still get like upvoted or downvoted. I'm basically just wondering if there is like, if there can be a space for people now to like avoid feeling alienated substance wise or no. I am also wondering in like deep long AA communities, uh, long-lasting AA communities, especially in in these times, how they deal with or if they deal with people who are like I don't know, just like <laughs> itinerant racists, inveterate I mean, ra- racists or whatever, or I mean, you that's know, like hyper uh, offensive in some way, or someone who would be in another context canceled. I mean, is that the one place that you can always go? Yeah, right. I mean, they literally, and we'll get back to this, but he literally brought up people who uh, are like Nazis, <laughs> who and who or who had sex with their daughters. Yes, exactly. Like like stuff that you would get murdered in prison for. Yes, and you are talking about it in a group, and there's no no, no judgment. judgment, or there's no vocalized judgment, even yeah. though because I mean that's where it gets. I, hairy, I mean, it's right? it's hard to. I mean, and again, this is not you know this is not nonfiction. This is not absolutely true i mean obviously he is writing some things from a perspective of of literary embellishment but also i would be interested to hear to what extent those things are true but then again uh perhaps what what's said in AA doesn't need to leave AA, and i don't need to know about it maybe that maybe that's the anonymous part of it it is i mean it's anonymous (laughs) who said that who can say I mean the Don, even Don G. Don is yeah, it's Don G name. and Fr- Francis uh yeah. Francis M Ferocious, Ferocious Francis. Uh any anything else? Uh no, I mean I'm I'm enjoying these chap- chapters as always the um the the humor of observation is 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 very funny and the um you know the the phrasings are always great and stuff. So yeah. I mean uh, for this being, you know, one section that's going to end up being what three weeks of us just <laughs> yeah, listening just to descriptions about. of AA. Yeah. Uh, I find that this still clips along and is fairly entertaining. Yeah. The the last point I wanted to to bring up is the wanting not have it doesn't work unless you want it to work. Yeah. I find that like interesting because I can see how people could have a problem with that line of thinking. But I, I do actually think it is one of the maybe more crucial things about human nature is that you really cannot, you can lead a horse to water. Yes. Like pe- people are, ve- and maybe this, I don't know if I'm, um, you know, what, what's the, what, what would, what, what kind of pill have I taken? If I think this, that people are basically <laughs> going to do whatever the fuck they do. And it's really hard to change people's minds. The the will pill. The will pill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
is, I don't is, know. That, is that a is that a dark I don't feel dark about it but that it that is kind of how I feel especially about things that are like pathological where I'm like I can't like I can't fix you yeah. and I'm I don't don't take it as a sign of unlove that I'm not going to try I just know better well that's also I think that that is what makes the higher power thing higher power higher power thing make my more, higher so, power. so much sense and you know, I the guy who was DMing me was talking about this is like that, and the, specifically the way that you phrase it is that you don't have to like believe in fucking Christian God, yeah. or Jesus Christ. One of these guys has Satan as their higher yeah, power, power part. Uh, but it does require giving, giving yourself away, give a uh, like mm-hmm. uh, s- s- submitting that you have no will and that your will is is uh the object of of some somebody outside of you. And part of the thing of doing that is, as Gately is going through in this, uh, it, knowing that it's stupid, mm-hmm. knowing that you don't essentially believe in it and doing it anyway. Yeah. Because that is, that is like the the breakthrough of will, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that is the thing of being like, I actually really wanting it is giving in to something stupid and or cringe or whatever. Right. You know? And that's one of those uh, things that's beautiful because you know what? AA is incredibly cringe. Yeah. And you might... Be, Think of yourself as a uh, freaking based <laughs> and to give yourself to the cringe is in fact one of the, in some s- things in some senses one of the most based things you can do. <laughs> uh, you know, this is like kind of uh, kind of tangential to this, mm-hmm. but I was thinking about this recently uh, in that I've been <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back or anything to the whatever few hundred people that listen to this. I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I've been mm-hmm. working in incredibly fucking hard for like five months six months or something like that Mm -hmm. uh just like you know forcing myself to do like uh not even force myself just like getting up and knowing what i need to do is like 15 hour days or something to do all the research for the pods and writing and all of the podcasting and the festival when i had it and whatever uh and i was thinking about how when i had a real job when i worked at slate Mm -hmm. and i had tasks i wanted to do or that i was being told to do and and I wasn't as invested in them. I didn't really care as much because they were like yeah. work Yeah, that I was constantly beating myself up for not getting things done as fast as I wanted to do and being like, Oh my God, do I need to go back on my Adderall meds? Do I need to like mm-hmm. fucking, am I, is something broken with me? Is something wrong that I just can't do this work as fast yeah. as they are making me do this? That I, I, that I'm unable to fulfill these goals. Am I essentially a lazy person? Yeah. Uh, do I not have the will? Do I not have, something you know just like constantly being behind in work and constantly beating myself up because i felt like there was some kind of deep laziness to me yeah and the thing is is once i was fired from all of my real jobs and eventually through a miracle of, of coincidence and dedication got a job that i actually cared about in in which i don't actually have to do that much shit yeah at a basic level i could only produce two episodes of chapo a week and work i don't know 10 12 hours a week and be like fine you couldn't you there is no third episode a week. yeah ex- you know what i mean exactly they're they're but at their max being freed from that and being able to be the subject of my own will i find myself naturally pushing pushing myself to sure. do 15 hour days about four or five days a week mm-hmm. and i think that that it, it feels i mean it's tangential to this but it's something like it where it's like when you're being forced to do something or when you don't really want to do something it's it's fucking impossible yeah and it feels like agony at every time but then when you find 
when you kind of you know when you get to that point of of free flowing will yeah suddenly you can do you 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 find yourself doing everything you know yeah it re- the the imagery that uh stuck out to me and, and it's not like he was like counting down the hours but do you remember the last time you had to like do something and you were like looking at the clock and being like oh god like when is it going to be like this time when things yeah, are yeah. over that that is like the the worst that's the worst feeling in the yeah. world <laughs> and i feel very lu- very lucky that i really don't feel that feeling. you don't feel that feeling yeah, yeah. You're you're not looking at the clock, being like, "When is it going to be six p.m.?" You know, I'll or tell whatever. you when I do that feeling. It's when I do my stupid little twenty or twenty-five minute jogs every day. Well, there you and go. Every time that the lady comes on over my jogging app and says, "Running time fifteen minutes," I'm like, "Ah, yeah, ah, ten more <laughs> minutes." Oh, fuck this! Running fucking sucks. <laughs> uh, but then I make myself do it, and yeah. you know what? When you're done with your 25-minute jog, it feels good to be done with the 25-minute jog. Yeah. But when the lady says 15 minutes, I'm like, I will fucking murder myself. I'm going to fucking kill myself. <laughs> I would rather be dead than jog 10 more minutes. As, as you're running and you're like running over a, bit, a bridge and you you're just like, like I launch just throw yourself myself off. into the canal. <laughs> <laughs> would be better than 10 more minutes of fucking jogging. <laughs> But then you do it anyway. Then you do it anyway. Aren't, aren't we all just? Uh, that's life. We're 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 all. Uh, Every, we're all just fifteen minutes into a twenty-five minute jog. We're oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, you know, as <laughs> so, so sometimes you just want to break stuff because you feel <laughs> like, like I feel shit. like shit. <laughs> oh, I feel like shit. I feel like shit. All right. Um. Join us next week for more uh, <laughs> AA. Oh, you know what? I keep on forgetting to do this. I never fucking plug that we do have an email address. We do love hearing from people. I think there are, there's somewhere between 700 and 1,000 of you who are actually listening to this thing. Uh, and we do love hearing from people if you're enjoying it uh, because it seems highly improbable that anybody would actually enjoy this. Uh, but there are some of you out there. So uh, email us, theinfinitecastpod at gmail.com or just i just dm us too yeah. dm me somebody added us yesterday saying that somebody else had the joke that infinite jest would be an anime and yeah. they put it in a web comic form <laughs> so uh no new ideas under the sun uh, anyway the infinite cast pod at gmail.com is our email if you want to get in touch uh otherwise see you next week for more hey, hey. <laughs> bye bye <laughs>